Listener Production. This is Come Out Wherever You Are, a podcast about coming out told by the people who have done it. I'm your host, Sean Zepps, and because this is a podcast about coming out, it's only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps. My pronouns are he, him. I am a gay man. I first came out in early 2000. I was inside of a closet with a friend, which is ironic and iconic. And I most recently came out last week in a podcast interview. It was just kind of a a simple, tell us about yourself. And I slid that little detail in. I always like to slide the detail in. Beat people to the punch, own that narrative a little bit. I don't want to make anyone... I don't want to accidentally find myself in a situation, which I do not enjoy, where someone's asking about my wife and then I have to, you know, address that. We're welcoming a brand new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family. Elia, can you introduce yourself? Tell us just a little bit about you when you first came out. And if you can remember, when is the last time you came out? Okay, well, thanks for having me here, starters. And uh, my name's Elia Green. Uh, My pronouns are they, them, he, him. And... The first time that I spoke openly about my gender um, would have to be at the Bingham Cup. It was a rugby tournament in Canada and um, it kind of wasn't really intended to be that way, you know what I mean? Like Mm. I was actually just talking about diversity and inclusion and then I also thought like, you know, it'd be a great opportunity just to speak my truth and share with the community and the people that were watching that to hear a bit about me and my story. And so it kind of went from there. And then I guess it went very public after that to the AP press and then all over the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Elia Green is an Australian Olympic champion. He was a part of the rugby sevens team that won gold at the Rio Olympics in 2016 and played in the NRLW in New Zealand in 2020 before retiring from professional sport in 2021. Since then, Elia has gone through two major life events in the public eye, transitioning and becoming a father. Most of Australia would have heard about this when Elia recorded a video at Bingham Cup in Ottawa, Canada, announcing their transition, and it swiftly went viral. One promise that I made to myself When my rugby career ended, I would continue to live the rest of my life in the identity, in the body that I I should have. Just a heads up before we get into this chat, we do discuss some heavy things in this episode, specifically suicide and depression. If you hear it and you want to speak with someone afterwards, just remember, you can always reach out to Lifeline at 13 11 14 or QLife at 1-800-184-527 between the hours of 3 p.m. and midnight. Okay, let's listen to this chat with Elia. A lot of us have seen that video. Um, It made its way around Australia very, very quickly, especially if you're a member of the queer community and especially if you're a member of the queer community who works in media. But not everyone would know the journey that came before that. And I find it really inspiring to kind of unpick the person before the coming out moment. Like, I know how it, what it took for me to get there. And so there are little elements that you can help me understand about you. I'm not Australian, so it's really useful. Really? But, <laughs> you couldn't tell I'm from shocked. my accent. <laughs> so where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in, well, 
there's quite a few places actually. But I was born in Fiji and yeah. Suva. And then um, we moved to Australia. And then I grew up on the Central Coast for a bit. And then in Melbourne. And then in Sydney. Okay, jumping around. There's been a lot of places. So if to say where I grew up, there's a lot of places. But I'd have to say probably the Central Coast. Then a lot of my childhood. Yeah. And is Fijian culture like a big part of your life? Is it the food that you eat? And is it the music that you listen to? Is there any aspect of that childhood that has like influenced you as you've grown up? Definitely. Like, I don't think it ever leaves. Um, like, it, it, I don't think it ever leaves, especially like with the the strong culture that comes with being Fijian and mm. Islander. It's I'm really blessed. I feel really lucky to be from such a beautiful country that so many people in the world love to visit as a holiday. You know, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful place. It also has its challenges as do a lot of countries. Yeah. But um, all in all, you know, my 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 beautiful parents that adopted me, they they um, brought my brother and, and I up in an environment that was surrounded by our culture. They had artwork. Um, they had... You know, lots of lots of things that reminded us of Fiji when we moved to Australia, mm. and even better than that, they um, they brought our Fijian nanny over to Australia to live with us. Brilliant! And um, she became um, like our grandma, so and she still is today very close to me. And um, you know, she really taught us how the importance of um, you know speaking language at home, mm. knowing how to comb our afro. Uh, writing our name and just all of the things that she did in a um, you know in, in a cultural way. So it was, and also um, singing and dancing in the traditional Fijian way. So that was really special. Beautiful. I have been blessed that I've spent some two separate trips in Fiji, and I'm going again in January. Um, I feel deeply connected as someone. So I grew. My family's Cuban. I have a Jamaican grandfather, and. I found like a beautiful similarity in the warmth of the people to strangers. Now I know it's like a, a tourist-led community and so naturally you're going to get people who are much nicer, but it, it just reminded me a little bit of my own culture and their friendliness and their connection. But what comes with Cuban and Jamaican culture is also quite an aggressive homophobic community. It's not necessarily a terrible thing. It's rooted in their culture and it's been around for a very long time. Do you know anything about Fijian relationship at all to like, how do they feel about queer people? Are we getting, is it getting better? Mm, that's a good question. Well, I kind of had my first experience of this by going back to Fiji recently. I okay. went um, with my fiance and my daughter um, for the first time uh, about a month ago. And um, yeah, my anxiety was really, really, really high. But I guess it was everything else going on at the time because you know, my story had just gone out in the media and far and wide. So I was kind of having anxiety about that. Yeah, It was a good time to get out of the country pretty mm. much. And so um, not just out of the country, but back to my roots. And it was going to be a real test. I'm like, uh, you know, my nah didn't know about any of like this news or yeah. me because, you know, she doesn't have social media. She doesn't have, I don't even think she had a phone at, at this stage. Um, so... Yeah, she, she didn't know this. She didn't know I had a baby, I even don't think. So mm. <laughs> I'm going back with a, Surprise! Like, a wifey, a baby, and like, you know, <laughs> a different, like, well, the true version of myself. So like, mm. okay, so this will be this will be a really um, special experience, but it will be one like I don't know how it's going to go. But 
The minute we walked into the village, I saw my na sitting, um, sitting with you know other family and elders in the um, on on the mats that she weaves all day, and um, you know she looked she looked at me and then I looked at her. She kind of looked the other way, like like oh, not sure who you are, but mm. <laughs> and then looked a third time. I reckon it was, and her face just lit up like you wouldn't believe, and it was just like a moment where we just kind of connected on a whole nother level and she just ran towards me with tears in her eyes and she said, my baby, my baby boy, you're home. And then she just cried in my arms and I cried in her arms and we didn't let go of each other, we just hugged for like, yeah, a long time. But it was a very, very special moment that we shared together. Oh, that's beautiful. She's, she's like 75 now, I think. Did you get an opportunity while you were there to kind of talk a little bit more or did you just let that be the moment where she got to see you? Um, like talk specifically yeah. about my gender. Yeah, your gender. I didn't actually have to explain anything. She just saw me as I am and that was it. Beautiful. I didn't say anything. She just said like, even as she was talking about me to my fiance, she was only saying he, him. Wow. And I didn't even say anything about my pronouns. No way. And that's as well as everybody in the village. That <laughs> is beautiful. Yeah. There's a discussion that happens a lot in our community about a a willingness, a desire for there to not need to be these like huge, big coming out moments. And and I would say the community is pretty divided in whether or not that's possible. And this is an example of it being possible, of, of you stepping into your truth, living your truth, walking into new spaces, people seeing you as you are in this moment and acknowledging that and respecting it. And I think maybe for a lot of people listening who are going, I can't imagine that possibility. Well, here's an example for you to hold on to and go, it is possible as long as there's respect and kindness uh, all around you. So as a child, when does sports come to the picture? Is that like an all, has that always been a part of your life? Yes, pretty much. It has been a long, um, in my life for a very long time. And I think it started off in, I'd say kindergarten when um, there was a, a the athletics carnival, the school athletics carnival. Yeah. And um, I was really, really quiet. I was shy. I was, um, yeah, I just, I'd be really anxious around like a lot of people. And so I had this big afro, you know, uh, you know, my dark skin. And I just, I st- stood out in the environment that I was in because mm. it, there wasn't as many, there wasn't that many um, black kids in the school. There wasn't even many other nationalities other than Australian. Yeah. Um, so I guess my brother and I both stood out quite a bit. <laughs> but my afro was so big, people like the kids used to call me uh Macy Gray and uh so <laughs> and um what else? Pretty much just any character that has a big afro. I'm like, guys, come on, it's getting old. Yeah. Anyways, never and heard then, that one before. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go again. Yeah, so I remember running my first ever um, 100 meter race and um, my mom was watching and I was just like, I didn't actually even care what I came, what lane I was running in or anything. I just needed to make sure she was watching me because I was needed to do something extraordinary. I'd do anything to get her attention. Like I just wanted to be like, really, I just wanted her to be impressed by whatever mm. it is that I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> so then um, when I ran that race, I like, I ran like my life depended on it, you know, and I won and I won... You know, I think I won significantly. I, I don't remember it well, but I know she was really impressed. So I was like, wow, this is something that you, you, um, you know, 
you think is really great. So I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to get better and better. And eventually I want to become like, you know, um, maybe an Olympian in the 100 meters or like I want to run for Australia. I want to do this professionally. And then this is kind of how it's just like my passion for it just grew and grew. And and my mom really supported me in that, in buying me every Olympic book, every Olympic video, VHRs time on um, on like, you know, amazing athletes. Mm. And um, yeah, I... Printed pictures of every athlete that I wanted to be like, and they weren't specifically male or female. But one thing they all had in common is that they were all really, really strong black athletes and that physically strong black athletes. And I just wanted to look like that. I wanted to be ripped, and I wanted to be um, really good at what a, what event I was going to do, which was probably going to be 100 meters or 200 meters. So I wrote up all the times that I wanted to achieve um, by the end of the year, and also by the time I was an adult. And then um, I put all these things up in my my room because my mom said the manifestation of something is very important. So you need to um, have it written down and look at it every single day until you achieve it. And that's only when you can take it down. Wow. I've been blessed enough to be able to interview a lot of athletes. And I love how there isn't actually one consistent story, but there's usually some moment where they were like, this is what I want to achieve. And I just obviously know the end of your story. So the fact that it actually occurred for you that you could go and compete for your country is amazing. Now, as an American, there are a lot of beautiful and have been a lot of great examples of strong black athletes representing the country for quite some time. So as a child in the 70s and 80s and 90s, there would have been not just one, but multiple great examples. In, in multiple sports, that was not the case in this country. There obviously are some beautiful examples, but did you have any athletes in this country, in Australia, that you were able to look up to and go, that's an example of proof that this is possible for me? Or was it just a dream that you had to like wheel from other examples? Kathy Freeman. Boom. <laughs> yeah, I, that was, she was like the pinnacle of um, what it is to be in a leader um, an exceptional, not only athlete, but just exceptional person and high achiever. Like mm. she, even, that time was was massive for, you know, the indigenous people of this country. It was massive. So the fact that she could stand up and produce a performance like that at the time and um, place uh, was was something that's never been done before. And I think that it will be hard to come across, you know, a performance like that ever again. Mm. Just the power of representation, I guess, like to be able to hold on to something and give you that hope, like to go back to that, what I just said, there's multiple different origin stories that push athletes to achieve greatness. You either have no example and you want to become that one, or there is something for you to latch onto. And it's beautiful because then the next generation of athletes look up to someone like you and go, it's possible for me. This can happen. So when along your journey, you know, five is when you start to kind of fall in love with, with sports. When along your journey, do you have a conversation with yourself where you go, I think I'm, or I'm confident I'm in the wrong body? There was definitely questions in my mind going back as young as before going to primary school. Mm. I can actually remember... Being in a bathtub with my brother, right? This is my son. We, we had been, you know, as kids, you share the bathtub, yeah. right? And 
like the anatomy of our bodies, I was thinking like, okay, I thought we were actually the same, but we're kind of different, we're kind of different. And like, I can actually even remember processing this. I'm like, I never used to wear a shirt. Like a lot of the time, like I hated wearing a shirt, like if it was playing outside and that. Mm. And then when I started to realize like, oh man, I have to wear a shirt because my body's changing. I was like, wow, I think it is, you know, there's a lot of confusion and questions in my mind that I didn't voice, you know, I didn't talk about, but in my mind, I definitely felt like there was something different. And um, growing up in society, I, I just learned how to squash that and suppress it because these conversations aren't talked about at school. They're not talked about at home. I don't see these conversations on TV, the radio. I wasn't hearing on anything. So why would I talk about it? It'd be like talking about something that doesn't exist. So mm. like I just, that's how it felt. And, you know, so I guess um, growing up uh, having these thoughts, like, yeah, it was, they just kind of went into um, air because, you know, it wasn't something I felt like I could really openly be like, hey, like, why do you think this is this? You know, it's, you, people would look at you like a silly in that time for me mm. in my circumstance. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, we've said this before on the show. For someone like me who grew up in the 80s, and 90s when you're struggling with your sexuality or your gender there at least is even though most of it is negative conversations being had about it so it's a whisper every now and then and so you're able to latch on to that there's someone else out there but for a lot of beautiful trans people we've interviewed that like you've just said did not exist so the idea in your head of you being broken or bad or wrong, which is a normal feeling for a lot of us to have as we're figuring out our truth, probably is heightened because you feel like you're actually the only one experiencing it. It's a little bit easier when someone says, what are you, gay? And you go, oh, okay. And you're putting pieces together. And you're like, well, there are, at least there are other boys that look like me that you can kind of grab onto that. I'm interested in what it felt like for you specifically around the time where you're acknowledging that this is likely, that this is possible, that this is your truth, while also continuing to be succeeding in a sport with the, op- with the opposite gender. So mm. surrounded by people of one gender, succeeding not in a small way, like it's clearly the sport you're getting better and better and better, and it looks like you're going to potentially take it to the next level. I don't know, the Olympics maybe. Was there a feeling inside of you of, this is wrong. I wish I was playing with a different group. No. Okay. No. Um, I think just like, because I was so focused on achieving a goal mm. and um, I have never given up on that. I made a promise to my mom that I'm going to make it. I'm going to go to the Olympics. Um, you know, hopefully it's going to be gold. That's the goal. I'm not going for any other color, but it's it's going to happen. Mm. And, you know, we... Um, was struggling a bit like not a bit we were struggling financially for quite a while um growing up my brother and I and my mum and so I saw um Kathy Freeman on TV and she had bought I could be wrong but I, I'm pretty sure it was a Porsche boxer a green one and I said to my mum like mum I want to get this car and I'm also going to be able to afford you a house and your dream car too so I'm just going to become really successful really a really successful athlete and um, hopefully I can, I, not hopefully, I will make this happen for us. Mm. And she's like, okay, bub, well, well, don't talk about it, do it. 
like you know tra- um, train like you know train your ass off like so part of my language but you know train train like you never trained before and you will get there like you have to put it put it in though and so I think like that focus also really wanted me to achieve something really great because mm. I didn't want us to repeat like um you know cycle of poverty and stress like financial stress stress at home and just you know I wanted things to be different so you need to be good at something does that make it easier to kind of suppress whatever's going on inside? And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, it in a good way. Like sometimes we need other things to focus on, to latch onto. And if there's a part of you that's confused, you're like, you know what? I have a goal. We'll think about this later. Absolutely. And when, especially when life has so many other, um, how can I say, like so many, uh, so many other things going on in it, to think about myself is probably the last thing. Mm. Um, and it still is. Like, this is probably the most I've talked about myself. Like, in obviously, my truth, yes, in forever, because I just don't do that. Like, yeah. it's more so about, like, my career or yeah. my mom or, yeah. you know, things that I'm doing. It's not about me. And mm. I don't, I've never been like that. So um, I had a huge, I guess, responsibility and, um, in caring with for my mom during um, her battling cancer for quite a while since I was maybe ten years old, and um, you know my brother and I were caring for her for a long time, and that went all the way up to I was twenty five, and then she passed away um, in two thousand eighteen. So that was always the forefront. Yeah, looking after my mom, and you know, as a child, it was my brother and I looking after my mom, escaping domestic violence for seven years. And then it was the cancer and then it was a whole lot of other stuff. So I think in between like going through so many different hurdles and experiences in life, like when do you have a time to sit down and be like, oh, wait, my gender. Oh, like, okay, wait, my identity. Like, when can I address that? It's not really something that could like really come up. And in between that training, like so intensely and traveling the world every two weeks as a professional athlete, you don't really have... I guess the opportunity to really sit and reflect on like, is this even possible? Like, mm. you know, it's, it's, there really hasn't been a moment to breathe, if I'm honest. Yeah. It makes total sense. <laughs> and it's, I'm, and I'm yeah. happy you're able to articulate it that way. Cause one of the more common questions that comes up in the coming out space is why not sooner for anyone, no matter how old they are. Why didn't you tell you, you know, speak sooner? Did you always know this? Why was it a secret? Was it a lie? It's actually really helpful for people to understand there was, so much going on for you. You were forced into adulthood at a very young age. The moment you start to take care of someone is, a, is an adult action, right? That's happening for you at seven. And so if, you, if, if that was the only thing that happened in your story was needing to step up and take care of a mother through all of that, that is already too much to then add on. Can we have a conversation about my gender? Seven-year-old self says to adult, no way. That's just, it just wasn't, that wasn't a possibility. Mm. And not only that, I think a huge factor is society. What is even acceptable at, like in that moment, which is constantly changing. Society is constantly changing and evolving. So, you know, I remember going to primary school and just walking in with the color of my skin, the look of me, my hair, Mm. and the fact that I don't even talk, I don't talk much at all was enough to make me feel isolated enough. So it, like, why would I want to put myself in a deeper hole yeah. than what I already am in? Wow. And, you know, a lot of kids actually thought I was male anyway. Like, well, actually, let me rephrase that. They knew I was male because they were pretty much calling me a boy from the moment I stepped in and I had a lot of 
a lot of experiences of of bullying over that. Um, um, you know, even I can very, very well remember a time where um, in, I think it was in like maybe one and um, this young, this young kid, he pushed me um, into the boys' toilets and he said, um, he's like, that's where you belong in the toilet, in the boys' toilet. And then he like pushed me in there and I thought he was going to beat me up in the toilet, but he actually just was just forcing me in there. And then I went and told my brother and my brother like beat him up in the middle of the oval in front of like half the school. So like, that's just one example, but like, there was just so many different, I guess, like things that kids could pick on for me. Yeah. And so, you know, to add in a, a whole like, you know, conversation about gender identity, like, yeah, that would be setting myself up for something pretty terrifying. Yeah. Wow. I can't relate and can't understand, but it is actually very useful for everyone to kind of think about when you physically look different than people around you. The pressure of being a young person. Being a young person is incredibly difficult, even when you can blend in. And so if you can't blend in physically, I think it's powerful to consider that, to just sit with that additional layer. Oftentimes in our community, we say the people who are struggling the most are those who come with multiple parts to their story. A physical appearance people can't ignore. And then an inside conversation that they want to ignore because it's another level. So I can completely understand and respect why it's like suppress, suppress, suppress. Let's just, please, can we just focus on other things, please? I'm going to get get forward. And maybe that's what drove you to just be so exceptional Absolutely. as an athlete. Oh. It's like, watch, watch out. I was going to say what, what you were saying before is like spot on. And because to add on to that, mm. I was going to also say is that there's also the questions from kids at school saying to my brother and I like, oh, well, why is your mom white? Because she looks very European, like she's, yeah. she's Polish. And so, you know, I'd have to go tell a whole nother story about that and explain why my skin's dark and my mom is so light. Yeah, And then I'm just like, I wish now knowing... Like what, I guess, having the knowledge now, I'm like, actually, it's actually none of your business. But I tell you what, my mom used to tell me to take, make up some stories because like kids are just so nosy. Just tell them what you want. Mm-hmm. So my mom, my mom told me to go to school and say that, um, well, she had a wild affair with a black man. And this is, you know, it's pretty simple. <laughs> and then another story was that um, she ate so much chocolate in her um, pregnancy that um, I came out like a Cadbury chocolate. So, this was your mom telling you yeah. this? Yeah. So I, I had about that's five. Iconic. I had about five different lines to say to people. Wow. <laughs> Anything but the truth because I'm just like, you're just annoying me now. You're really annoying me. Because it's mm. like the color thing wasn't like my mom and I, I didn't even realize we were different skin colors until I was like maybe seven. Wow. She told us we were adopted when we were in probably in year one, I think. Isn't that? But I didn't even know we were adopted. Because you're just focused on this beautiful love. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's this nothing woman else loves there. us and she adores us and she tells us every single day. She sings to us every night. Like I have no reason to believe why she wouldn't be my mother. Mm. I mean, that actually is the truth. Yeah. As someone who is not a biological parent, but raising two humans, it's not like a single moment goes by, not a single second of my day where I hold them up and go, I'm not your biological dad. It does not happen to me. No. Society does. They yeah. remind me. But I think people sometimes obsess over the fact that like, oh, but like, do you know your real mom? But I'm like, I, that really just like, 
makes me angry because I'm just like, yeah, my real mom, she's actually in heaven. And like, no, no, like your other mom, like that is actually just like she has, she gave birth. And that was, I'm sh- like, that was, that was, you know, I'm grateful for that. Mm. She gave birth to me, yes. But I think the real challenge and the real story of motherhood is what the woman did to raise me. And that's my mom. Amen. Yolanta. Who did the real work each and every day to make sh- to that's give you those mother. stories exactly. so you could survive. Yes. I get, ooh. I got chills because I get it constantly. Like, where's the where's the real dad? You know, the, who's the real dad of the two of us? I'm like, we're both really doing it every day. It's such a rude question. Keep that inside your mouth. Don't even stop me on mm. that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I wish people would like kind of replay that question to themselves and just say like, like maybe ask yourself that question in reverse and just like see how it sounds. Mm. It's, yeah, you don't know unless you're in that position, I guess. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so is there a moment on your journey where you decide I would like to maybe speak this out loud to somebody, how I'm feeling inside. It was definitely going to take a lot of courage and trust in the person that I was talking to in that. And like there are, you know, probably a handful of people that I feel comfortable enough to tell everything to, but like this one was definitely one that internally I thought, you know, it was going to, I would lose that person. You know, okay. and they wouldn't want to be my friend anymore or my family or whoever it was I was telling. And that was something that I didn't want to risk okay. at all, especially when it came to my family or my closest friends, even at training. Who was the first person you told? My fiance. Yeah? How did that, yeah. how did that response go? How did that conversation go? Well, the, the, interest, the funny thing was is that she already knew. Okay. <laughs> She could like see yeah. down inside. They could see we were, inside. Yeah, we were literally just like just hanging out at home. She was at my place and um, it was kind of early days at this stage in our relationship. But we were talking about, um, I, don't even, I don't remember, but I said to Vanessa, I said, you know, when so-and-so says this, like uh, something about like, and how does it feel to be... Um, a female playing a contact sport or something. It was a quite, I had done an interview about specifically about um, females in contact sport. Mm-hmm. And then I was just, I was a little bit annoyed because I'm just like, okay, it's, it's, they're also just athletes in, in a contact sport. Like, you know, it's, you don't have to say like, separate the genders in it. Like whether or not it's male or female, it's an impressive sport. And yeah. what we do is impressive. Yes. yes. Like I think that that should be respected in itself. Shouldn't have to have, this, you know, um, this separate category, even though like, I understand like it, it, it is like that. But I said, I, I guess for me, I, maybe I just feel personally annoyed and sometimes like people feel the need to, you know, segregate that. And then Vanessa said to me, well, like, she's like, well, do you feel like you identify as female? And I said, not really. And I just said it straight away, like, no, not really. And then Vanessa, she really just opened up my eyes to a whole new world to me that I didn't have much knowledge of myself. Mm. I, at this stage, I didn't have any trans friends or even really any different friends with uh, like just other identities. Other, mm. Like I had friends that are, are gay and um, yeah, but I didn't have any other friends that had different identities. I didn't have different friends that were trans. And so this was a whole new conversation for me. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know that, like, um, you know, the, that 
surgery for this was even an option in Australia. I didn't, this is how I, I didn't have, have any idea, you know, this is how clueless I was about it. So we started having this conversation about it and I was like, wow, I didn't even know this was possible. This was three years ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I, I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't know that like this was something that I could, I could do. Mm. And so this is when I started to, um, you know, like to be more open about it. And she said, well, would you prefer if I referred to you as, you know, um, they, them or him, just not um, female pronouns? And um, I said, well, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and then that's just how it started. I was going to say wife her up, but you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fact yeah. that you've been suppressing this feelings, these feelings for so long, and not just in a considered way, but in a way that you just articulated it where it didn't really even have space to be at the front of your mind. You haven't done the research. You haven't been combing websites to find out if these surgeries exist. And someone could see you and and beat you to the punch and ask the right question at the right time. And you to answer so quickly means that that relationship was clearly very strong. Like you picked the perfect person to have those conversations with or spend the rest of your life. That's really powerful because a lot of people don't have that first opportunity. Yeah. Because if that first interaction had gone poorly, if you had said, you know, maybe I am. And she had said, that's gross. Which people all across the world hear, right? What could that one conversation do? It could be really damaging in your ability to be yourself. And so applaud to her and to you for meeting her. That's really powerful. And uh, on that, I think that our bond from the very moment of of meeting each other, the very first day I met her, Mm. it was like that. So, you know, it was... from that moment, I knew she knew she knew me a lot deeper than what was in front of her, and um, yeah, it was, it was a, you know a spiritual connection. It was an emotional connection um, that I had never felt before, and it was like we had been re um, I guess reunited from another lifetime. Yeah, and it was like oh, there you are, there you and, are, and it was like we already kind of understood each other in ways that I'd never experienced before, Mm. you know. So she's obviously the first person to start to use they, them, he, him pronouns. How did that feel for you? It was really, 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 uh, I don't even know the words. It was, it made me feel really seen. It made me feel seen. I just felt raw. Like I'm like, wow, you see me like naked with clothes on, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah, it does. You see me completely stripped of, for me, and um, it was it was a feeling like I like that was that was completely I guess not new yet. It is new for me. It was, and I was just like, this, I I can really get used to this. Even though it was a nerve wracking thing, I was also just really like I was really happy. Right, and did that happiness, that affirmation you're describing of going, wow, this is clearly this feeling is a good feeling. I'd like this to keep happening. Did that make you want to tell your teammates or tell your brother? Not really. Okay. Why? Like, I think just the fear of judgment. Okay. And like, I know that Vanessa loves me so much with no boundaries. And I just didn't know how everybody else would react because I... Yeah. It's just one that was too much of a risk to take. 
even though like I have some really beautiful people in my life and my teammates are super caring and just like beautiful people who are, we're all very close and our families and our parents are um, also very close. But I wouldn't want to risk that. Um, I wouldn't want to risk that relationship with um, telling them how I really feel and how I identify. And I don't, I don't know how it's going to go. So I don't want to put myself in that position. I have wondered when you knew and you had this person that you loved who was affirming it for you, were there moments where you thought, maybe I can't do the sport I love anymore? No. Yeah? Not at all. Um, that wasn't really what I was thinking at all. I guess I started planning everything, um, you know, after, not long after, oh, I don't remember exactly when, but probably about two years ago, I started like researching more and I knew it would be something that I would have to do when I retire. Okay. And it's not because I don't think I can play professional sport um, as, a, as a trans person. I just like, as I didn't even know, like what, what's the, you know, what's, what's the go with that? Like, is it possible? I didn't, yeah. I didn't actually even know because I, I knew my career wasn't going to last forever. Mm. It's especially in such a intense, brutal sport. So in my mind, I thought, you know, this is something to really look forward to. I'm going to, you know, go as far as I can in, towards this next Olympics. And, um, you know, I will probably want to, um, you know, uh, pursue, pursue things with my my career, what I'm going to do next and grow our family and also start my transition into me. It wasn't really something that I thought about in yeah. terms of like sport because I didn't want to play sport anymore anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's helpful to hear. Mm. I imagine... I imagined before speaking to you that there would have been this like internal battle constantly of knowing you were a man all along and then having to play this sport surrounded by a different gender. And I actually think it's quite beautiful that you were so in love with this sport and focused on it that it didn't cross your mind. Mm. It's another example of what is possible when we don't force rigid beliefs onto people and we just kind of like allow people to live. I think that is what's possible. And this um, is, I think I truly believe there's a time and a place for something to happen. Mm -hmm. And like as much as I would have wanted this to happen a lot earlier, it just wasn't meant to be that way. Um, you know, my mom has always been the priority as a, as a child. Um, you know, my, my brother also, you know, like being with him and growing up together, like it just wasn't really the time or place to, to do certain things. And um, I think like the open, like the way that this all happened, you know, even meeting Vanessa when I did, um, the way that my career ended as heartbreaking as it was, it was like, okay, this is, this everything has happened for a reason. And, um, you know, I have this moment to now focus on me and I have time to breathe and I have time to process this and I have time to enjoy it. Mm. As much as it has stressed me out in a lot of ways and given me anxiety, it's more so the external. Because if I was to strip all that away and just think of me and me sitting in a room on my own. Like, I am so glad this is one, of the best, it is the best decision that I've ever made 
for myself. Amazing. You've spoken publicly about surgery before. You've spoken in this interview, used that word. Why was that important to you? Uh, it was really important to me because something that I didn't talk about openly at all was that um, I had quite a lot of body dysmorphia. Okay. And um, I was tended to overcompensate with being super confident in with with how I looked when I was shirtless or anything or yep. I would become the strongest version of myself to be as masculine as I could look that was physically possible, you know, and yep. I was constantly pushing myself to be, um, you know, extremely strong, especially on the bench press um, and really just all aspects of the gym. I was just obsessed, but um, a part of that was was to mask the fact that like I just want to be more masculine than feminine because it's just not how I feel at all. Mm. And so um, I had created this image of myself on the rugby field um, with this these long braids and, um, you know, there's just this look and it worked. You know, it actually worked like as in like it stuck. Like this was the image that was going to kind of give me a name in this mm. in this field. And um, I said, okay, well, I'm going to keep this look um, because this is this is my brand now. And um, so I guess the moment when I kind of took my braids out and just saw me for me with my afro, and I, it was a it was a very um, symbolic moment for me where I was just like, okay, that was amazing. That part of my life was really really amazing, and it it was um, it's like given me a lot of happiness and a lot of joy and just a lot of fulfillment but and now it's time for me to to i guess live my life in in my truth mm. and that and like in my in the body that i've always always wanted wanted to be in and always knew i'd meant to be in and i can just be comfortable in it and content wow so the people like your brother and your teammates did you tell them before this happened or did you t did you tell them no. afterwards i didn't tell anyone okay i just did it <laughs> This was your individual thing plus yeah. your fiance. Correct. Yes. Um, I guess one thing for me is like I, I was, I was almost putting myself in an even darker place by building myself up to tell people, and I'm like putting myself into such a situation. In, I wouldn't even say a situation. I'm putting myself into the depths of like depression, suicide. Um, everything, it was exhausting the thought of having to tell yep. all these people that mean so much to me, mm. something that is giving me so much anxiety because I'm so worried about how they're going to react. So I, I thought to myself, you know what, I'm just going to do it. And then if they still love me, they still love me. That's it. That's all I can do. <laughs> so your coming out was not actually you speaking, hey guys, this is something that I'm going to do. Instead, they met you. Your coming out was them meeting you in your true I'm just going to stand in front of you and then I'm, and you can kind of figure it out. That's what it was. Okay. It and wasn't a big announcement. Wow. Aside from the AP press, which yeah. was kind of a big announcement. <laughs> yeah. One of the rare moments I've had on this podcast to talk to people who uh, come out to thousands or more in the blink of an eye, right? It was Very like different. In 24 hours, it was already in the Washington press, the yep. New York Times, like everywhere. Like mm. so, And then... I feel like it came to Australia even last after that. So like, I guess it was news for a lot of people. I didn't, 
I had kind of very vaguely spoken about it on my social media, but it wasn't something like I'm like, hello, well, this is me. It was yeah. more so like, okay, Elias had surgery and, um, you know, with his daughter, I think I kind of just let people just kind of yep. think about it. Okay. Um, but it wasn't something that I was like, you know, wanted to build up too much because I knew it would just give me more anxiety. Okay. You do not have to answer this. It's just if you're comfortable, but how did the, the people respond? How did your brother respond and your teammates? Did you find support? It was actually a really, um, I was really shocked because there was nothing but love. Great. <laughs> yeah, it was nothing but love. Um, I guess like with my brother, it's, like, it's been a bit hard because you know, we've obviously had a relationship since, you know, the very beginning. Mm. But, you know, regardless of anything, I know that he he loves me. But I think it's just a learning thing um, between us. But he knows deep down, like, I love him more than anything. And then on social media, it's really just been people with, um, I guess really strong religious beliefs that have told me I'm going to hell. Uh, but, you know, I've kind of don't really mind that one because <laughs> I think people have, no, I think people on social media like that I don't know have said lots of harsh things to me before. Mm. Lots of things. So I know so telling me I'm going to hell wasn't really going to, ruin my life because you know I I don't really know you so it's okay like people have said lots of horrible things before to me um on social media so it's okay yeah and the battle you have with yourself is always worse it would than be more hurtful if it was coming from people I knew yeah which would nothing like that happen if mm -hmm. anything that was just like overwhelming of love and responses from people that I knew and don't know yeah. Yeah. All over the world. And yeah. That's great. There are a lot of people listening who will come out, who will speak their truth, um, step into the gender they've always been, uh, request that the people they love use new, new pronouns. And a question I like to ask to all the guests is, what do you say to someone who isn't learning fast enough, isn't comfortable trying new pronouns is getting it wrong. You obviously have experience there. What would you say to somebody who's stuck in that situation and is just frustrated or feeling like the people around them aren't respecting them? I know this might sound so, so hard to hear and process. And you might think like, oh, like, okay, shut up, cliche. But you know who you are. You know who you are. And that is literally all that matters. Because... People are always going to have their opinions, their judgments, their everything about you or, you know, your surroundings. But at the end of the day, it's you who, who's in your body and knows who you are. And no one, no one can tell you other than that. No one can change that mm. but you. Yeah, That's great. In many ways, your story makes me feel... It gives me a little bit of hope because not wanting to speak your truth, not feeling like you can, 
the fear of telling people and the ramifications of that can send a lot of people into a dark place. And you've admitted that that happened to you. But what gave you hope was one person, one individual seeing you, hearing you, knowing the right pronoun usage, making you feel like you could be yourself. And so I agree with you. I want my children to grow up in that world too. And the more you spend time online and look into the media, it feels harder and harder like that's not going to be possible. But your story reminds me, as long as I can give them that space, one person, the parent or two parents, if you can do that in your little bubble, the rest of the world can be on fire because you know you can run back to safety. You know you can sprint home to a place where you can be yourself. And so if the world decides there are only two genders and you must remain that way, if you have that home where you can go and step inside and be yourself and be respected, I do feel like it really does just start with us as parents just doing the best damn job we can. That will keep a person alive. I believe it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Accepting your child is suicide prevention. And I think as two parents across the table, like that's actually all that matters is making sure that they feel safe, right? And loved. Well, thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you for being vulnerable and open. It was wonderful to meet you. Lovely to meet you too, Sean. Thanks for having me. Okay, we are back. How are you going? How are you feeling? If this episode left you wanting more information about our wonderful LGBTQIA plus alphabet, then you should check out Minus 18. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have heaps of resources on their website and they run trainings for workplaces and classrooms. Minus 18 are on all socials at minus 18 youth and their website is minus 18.org.au. But Minus 18 isn't a helpline. So if you're looking for support, you can call QLife on 1-800-184-527 for free every day from 3 p.m. till midnight. If you're feeling anxious and not up to talking on the phone, they also have web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. Their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be a part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can slide into our DMs on Instagram at Come Out Wherever You Are. You can also follow me at Sean Zeps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zeps. Our lovely producer is... Lindsay Grain. Our executive producer is... Lemma Bacharia. And we can't forget our audio producer... Chris Marsh. See you soon. <laughs>